Hey everyone, Ron Garen here. First, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Orbital Perspective podcast. What started out as a discussion around sheltering in place almost a year ago has turned into a discussion platform centered around making our world and our future better for everyone. Let's keep that discussion going. I also wanted to let you know that my next book, Floating in Darkness, A Journey of Evolution, launches on May 4th of this year. It's the sequel to my first book, The Orbital Perspective, and goes much deeper into solving the challenges that our world faces and how we can come together as one to create solutions. It's part autobiography, part action movie, part love story, with a message of unity that I would like to share with the world. For my loyal podcast listeners, I'm offering a 25% discount off the retail price. To get the savings, simply go to floatingindarkness.com forward slash order and enter the code PODCAST to save 25%. It's good for the next 48 hours, and it's my way of saying thanks for joining me on this incredible journey towards a better future. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Orbital Perspective Podcast, where we dolly zoom out to a perspective where upcoming megatrends become visible. Every day, it is more and more apparent that we are in the midst of the great transition. Everything is changing rapidly. The fundamentals of business, government, and society are being rewritten almost on a daily basis. We are truly living during a time where the riskiest course of action is to stay the course. The most hazardous path is to take the tried and true. We are also living during a time where it is becoming more and more apparent that the status quo is not working. At least it's not working for everyone. And until the status quo is working for everyone, we will do nothing more than slap temporary band-aids on our problems and our challenges. We are presently dealing with crisis after crisis. But these crises can serve as a wake-up call. They can be our call to action to incorporate the changes necessary to make us all more resilient and better equipped to deal with the future crises that will undoubtedly come our way. The Orbital Perspective is all about transcending the divisive walls that separate us and embracing the awe and wonder of our shared humanity. What all the guests on the Orbital Perspective podcast have in common is they are all able to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when we look at issues from different perspectives, we see things in stereoscopic vision. Multiple perspectives allow us to see the depth of a situation below the two-dimensional us-versus-them surface. The other thing all our guests have in common is that they are all proof that you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Now, this is not an interview, and it's also not just a conversation between two friends. It's a conversation amongst all of us. If you're listening live, please post your questions and your comments so that we can bring you into the conversation. And if you're listening to the recorded conversation, still please join in with your comments and questions and be a part of this evolving community. Thank you for being here and being a part of this conversation from the Orbital Perspective. Welcome. Welcome to the morning after. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, the morning after uh, election night, uh, 2020, what a wild, wild, wild ride 2020 has been. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I, uh, 
I thought to myself that, you know, no matter what happens Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, at least half of the country is going to be upset. Right. And uh, uh, I think I was a little bit off in my <laughs> in my estimate, because I think pretty much the entire country is, is upset with um, with the uncertainty, with with um, the polarization, with the divisiveness, with, with everything that's that's going on um, within within our present political sphere and, and our, our present political climate. Um, but we're Americans. Uh, we get through these things. We, we as Americans rise to the challenge that, that we face. And in order to rise to this challenge, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to figure out a way to move away from the binary two-dimensional us versus them uh, setup we got here, where in order to have a winner, you have to have a loser. Uh, and it's then transition to to a way of doing things where everybody can win. We need to look for ways uh, to bring everybody into the equation. And my guest today uh, is the CEO of Fifth Element Group, Jim Van Erden. Uh, and the main purpose of Fifth Element Group is to create what we call Omni Wins, uh, situations where uh, folks can um, find ways where where people can come together and and um, do things together in a less divisive way. So uh, with that, I'm going to introduce uh, my guest today, Jim Van Erden. Jim Van Erden serves as CEO of Fifth Element Group. Forbes magazine recently called Fifth Element an outstanding global brain trust. And Real Leaders magazine referred to the company as a maestro of the Omni Win. Jim began his career as a corporate brand strategist, as a principal consultant for Coca-Cola, M&M Mars, and American Airlines, as well as the 1994 World Cup Organizing Committee and the 1996 Atlantic Committee for the Olympic Games. In 1996, Jim founded a national consulting firm that specialized in the launch of internet businesses inside Global 2000 and fast-growing companies, including Southwest Airlines, GM, USA Today, and Pearson Education. Following an exit in 2001, he became Managing Director for Helix, where he focused on investments in social good companies. He was also in charge of Helix's media investments, credited as one of the pioneers in what is now known as Filmanthropy, he served as executive producer for several award-winning feature films, including the Academy Award-nominated short film Most, Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius, The Ultimate Gift and the Perfect Game, and educational documentaries such as the critically acclaimed films Running the Sahara, which he produced with Matt Damon, and War Child with Emmanuel Jal, all of which carried a philanthropic mission and raised millions of dollars for charity. Jim has been a speaker on business and social entrepreneurship at forums including the National Press Club, Nobel Peace Prize Forum, the United Nations, FinTech Week in London, and at Harvard University, where he spoke on philanthropy 2.0. He writes about the intersection of purpose and business with essays published by the World Economic Forum, USA Today, Real Leaders Magazine, and other publications and is currently co-authoring the book, Great to Good, How For-Profit Businesses Are Remaking the Future of Philanthropy. 
Jim and his wife Rachel have 11 children and live on a family homestead near Greensboro, North Carolina. And there he is. Everybody, please help me welcome Jim Van Erden, CEO of Fifth Element Group. Hey, Jim. Hey, Ron. Great to see you today. Nope. Oh, great to see you. Great to see you. So, uh, how, how you how you making out this morning? <laughs> <laughs> what what a day! What a day! Um, I, I loved your intro, by the way. I think I need to listen to the Orbital Perspective launch video every day just to get fired up, especially these days, right, to uh, re-enter the world and figure out how to uh, love and live well. It's, uh, it, it, these, are, these are momentous days indeed. Yeah, and, and music gets your, your, your feet tapping at least. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good, good, way to, good way to get going. But um, well like, like, I, like I said in the, in the intro, um, you know, we've got a pretty big challenge in front of us as a nation, uh, which has a huge effect on the rest of the world. Um, what are your What are your thoughts coming from a, a, a place of uh, where your business model is all about creating omni wins? You know, do you, do you see any way we can get an omni win out of this out of this um, uh, present situation from in both a short term and a, and a long term perspective? Well, you know, my, my dad uh, has thousands of times said uh, to me over the years, "Nothing is dynamic until it's specific." And uh, to me, you know, in this moment that we're in, when there's such polarization, uh, it's really vital uh, to know people who think differently than we think, uh, and not just to know them, to be in a relationship with them, to love them. I, I, um, I just was going back and forth with a friend who, you know, politically thinks very differently than I do. But last night I said, one thing I'm so grateful for as I watch this election unfold is the thought that if my principles lose, there are people like you who I love on the other side, and that shapes how I proceed in dealing with loss or victory. Um, and so, you know, you, you've been so powerful in communicating this point, um, Ron, about the, the, you know, the challenge of trying to work across um, the, you know, polarized opposites and, um, and aim at places of common flourishing. And I, I think that's the big moment for us to, you know, aim small in, in terms of having relationships that help us to have an orbital perspective. It doesn't just happen. It happens in part by, you know, by being in community and by being in community with people who think differently than we do. And then um, learning to love them so that you can, you know, find um, common ground and be a respecter of persons, even when ideas conflict. I think that's the, you know, the biggest moment that we're in. It's just a, it's a call for basic uh, civility and it comes one person, one relationship uh, at a time. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and families are being pulled apart because families yeah. within, within the family unit are on uh, opposite sides of the spectrum. And so this is, um, you know, a lot of folks will say, well, yeah, that's that's just nice. That's just a bunch of kumbaya. Uh, the, don't you see what demons the other side is? Don't you see uh, how uh, they're and pick pick whatever name you want to call them. Um, but part of the part of the problem is that there are polar opposite views uh, or at least I should say seemingly polar opposite views on either side. And so intelligent, well-meaning good-hearted people on, on both ends of the political spectrum uh, can see the other side 
and and demonize the other the other side because uh, of the polarization and what uh, our echo chamber media and, and social media and everything else and all our posts what that serves to do is to is to put a, a microscopic focus uh, on those things that we blow out of proportion to put undue um, importance on those things and and make for for lack of a better word you know a mountain out of a molehill however so so when we talk about unity when we talk about coming together when we talk about omni wins and trying to create all that uh once you get out to the ends of the spectrum on either side antibodies get deployed how dare you how dare you that's the enemy you know yeah. don't you see what they're doing that's illegal that's immoral that's you know choose whatever thing you you want to pick that's what we need to rise up against right now. That's the challenge that we need to overcome. Yes, there are things that we can disagree with. Yes, there are things that we need to work uh, with every being of our, uh, with every fiber of our being to, to change. We, we need to stand up for what we believe is right. But we knew that we need to do that in a way that, it, that it's going to move us towards progress. And the only way we're going to succeed is we, if we figure out how to, to, to lead us towards a more unified understanding of what's going on, not a more uh, divisive understanding. Yeah. You know, as you know, Ron, I've, I've been involved in the film industry. And I remember the first time that I heard you speak at the United Nations and you used the example of the, of the Dolly Zoom. Uh, you, you need to uh, re-explain that. To everybody listening again because you can't hear it enough it's one of those moments where you know we need so much to be in the process of zooming in on individual uh, people uh who we can value and seek to you know help flourish while at the same time you know we're we're snapping back to that larger perspective that's moving um around us as well that that can you explain like the the, the Dolly Zoom because you yeah, I mean from, from, from a today today yeah. is when we need the Dolly Zoom. Yeah, yeah, and in in the movie business, what it is 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 you're either uh, zooming the lens in while you're dollying the camera back, or vice versa, right? And it's been used in lots of movies, Jaws, uh, Spy Games, a whole bunch of movies. And what it does is it challenges the viewer's perspective of reality, right? The foreground stays in the same spot and the background seems to stretch. It seems to give depth and height to the, to the situation. If we dolly zoom a situation or we dolly zoom a challenge, uh, what that means is that we zoom out to the widest geographic uh, view possible, which is all the way out to the whole planet. Uh, but we do that without losing focus on the individual people, communities, and issues that, that that make up that situation, right? We also zoom out to the long-term and we think about, okay, what is the effect of this decision or policy or whatever gonna be multi-generational, but what's it gonna be in the next quarter as well? You know, what's it gonna be in the next election cycle? What's it gonna be in the next shareholder report? We, we, we don't forget those two things. We don't get overly focused on the long-term and forget the short-term, and we don't just completely put our focus on the short-term. The last thing is, and this is not really part of the cinematography or cinematography of a dolly zoom, but what what an added an added aspect of that came to me on a spacewalk where I was looking down at the Earth and I realized that my view of the Earth was changing by five miles every second, and so when you see the Earth or when you see anything 
from multiple points of view. If you see it from two points of view, you, you get, it, get it in stereoscopic vision. If you're seeing it from multiple points of view, you're seeing the depth of the situation. And this is yeah. where our unity comes in because the fact that we have diverse opinions, diverse points of view, diverse perspectives is a source of strength. It's a source of, of strength in problem solving and, and bringing different uh, problem solving perspective, perspectives to the, to the equation. If we allow it, if we don't incorporate those things, then that's where we run into trouble. That's where we all stay in our narrow uh, monoscopic view uh, or perspective and not consider the other the other points of view. So I think that's uh, that, that's a really important part it, of it. It's so true. And, you know, the the the. The most impactful thought leaders have always understand, have always understood the principle of the Dalai Lama. I mean, I, I think about, um, you know, in terms of the faith community, I think about Jesus being pressed. Okay, what's the most important of the commandment to get into an argument and to divide? And instead, he says, "Hey, you can take all of it and summarize it in these two things: love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself." That's the sum of. Um, of all that's here. And uh, to me, we, you know, th that, that is an example of the way that, um, you know, when you think about in a moment like this, what it is to love your neighbor well, um, it, it doesn't mean that you, as you pointed out, that you abandon principles, but it does mean that you remind yourself of the core principles uh, that can bring shared flourishing. And you can't, you can't think about omniwin models Ron, if it's in business, if it's in politics, if it's in um, family relationships, if you if you don't focus on the main things, you know, as the first things, and uh, and that that's what I think we've increasingly lost is you know an ability to gather together around you know shared human uh, cause and purpose, and your your whole lens of the orbital perspective um, in that regard uh, has just been really powerful in, in, in my own life. And I think, you know, you're a picture on of the fact that the orbital perspective doesn't just happen. You know, your story is so profound and going out to space, not just going out to space, but going out to space with um, people on the other side, you know, so to speak, and creating shared community and then looking back on the planet, that that whole concept is something that, you know, we can look at you and say, well, but you're, you know, you're, you're an astronaut. Um, you had that kind of experience. What about me? I'm trying to get an orbital perspective in the midst of this dog-eat-dog -dog world. And the reality is that if we look, you know, if we look for what is given to us, we've all had experiences that invite us into uh, the orbital perspective. And I think that's a really key part of responding to the moment that we're in as a nation. Uh, well, definitely. And uh, thanks. Uh, thanks to you who are putting comments and questions in, Jason. We're going to I'm going to get to you in a second. You got some great points there. We're going to bring you into the conversation. All you other people out there watching, you know, jump into this conversation. Uh, send us your questions, your comments, uh, and be a part of the, the conversation. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is really important to consider is what is your what is your foundation? What do you what are you basing uh, you know, your actions, your words, your your thoughts, your opinions on? What is your what are your basic assumptions, right? And my basic assumption 
is that the vast majority in the of the people in the world want to leave this place a little bit better than they found it. They want peace. They want harmony. They want to love the, the, their neighbor. They, they, um, they, they care about their neighborhoods. They care about their communities. They care about their country. They care about the environment. They care about the world. I am absolutely convinced that the vast majority of the people in the world uh, have that as their underlying motivation. Um, if that's your underlying motivation, then you, you, see, you tend to look at things from a different perspective. You tend to look at differences of opinion from a different perspective. If, however, your foundation is, you know, I'm in this little bubble, I know exactly what's right, Any, anything that's not exactly the way I think is, is wrong, and those people are out to get me, they're out to, get to, they're out to end my way of life, my, my rights, my, you know, they're immoral, they're, you know, if, if, you, if your immediate gut reaction is a defensive us versus them, you know, attack, um, we, need to, we need to evaluate our under, under, uh, underlying conditions. So let me throw something up um, from Jason. So the only, the only route to unification is to observe facts, human nature, and what history shows us. And history shows us that truth is what matters, but is, but is least searched for. Um, so basically, I think what that's, that's kind of speaking to is the fact that there's so much misinformation out there um, that, um, that we don't, there, there, were, there have been historically trusted sources of information that those, the trust in those uh, sources have, have been undermined. Um, and like scientists, <laughs> for instance. Uh, or, or media or pollsters. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, part of that is a general uh, displeasure uh, with with the established quo, the, the establishment, right, of the of the status quo. Um, uh, and there's a lot of valid reasons for that. Um, we do have a, a system that is not equitable uh, across the board. Um, not everybody is at the same starting position when the when the when the race starts, um, and so. Uh, and it's getting worse. There, there is a lot of the, you know, a divergent path that we're seeing in society, and I think a lot of people are reacting to that. But, but what do you, what do you think about that? As, as far as you know, people have labeled this the post, the post truth error and things like that. Yeah, it, it is um, um, a really uh, um, troubling um, moment for a lot of people because where they assumed they could get reliable information. Um, they're not assuming that anymore. Um, but there's, there's something else about what Jason said that is intriguing because it's not just about the challenge that we face um, in uh, assessing what truth is. And you know, truth is that which uh, ultimately conforms to reality. But it's, it's not just that, it's the appetite. Um, issue, and I think part of what Jason was saying is that you know people don't seem to have an appetite um, for the search for what is really true. Instead, um, they seem to um, just desire entrenched uh, opinion that protects uh, whatever cocoon they're in. Um, that, that's to me what's um, as scary uh, is not just the fact that. We have to be more thoughtful about how we um, access truth, that which conforms um, to uh, reality, but also 
how we question our own appetite to actually seek it, which, you know, requires vulnerability um, from all of us. Right, Ron? I mean, we if if we um, want to be um, authentic seekers of truth and if we want to be authentic um, in loving other people well, we have to put ourselves in uncomfortable um, positions and relationships and um, conversations, all of that. Um, so, uh, you know, to, to me, it's, it's a moment to start. Actually, it's kind of interesting because, and one of the challenges we have too is just perception. Um, so I have, I have, um, pictures around uh, my library here at our, at our, uh, farm, um, of different people that have inspired me in different ways. You know, over my shoulder is George Washington who inspired me because in the moment he was in, he demonstrated humility. Uh, and so each one of these, each one of the pictures are there because they represent a character attribute. But a lot of people could look at that picture or, you know, the, the old white guy next to him, <laughs> who's John Quincy Adams. He's there because, you know, his steadfast pursuit to the day he died in Capitol Hill, um, making a speech um, uh, for the abolition of the global slave trade, working with another hero of mine, William Wilberforce, on that you know, objective. And so, but a lot of people would look at that and they, they look over my shoulder and they see that and they immediately form a perception um, about, you know, those people and why they're there and so forth without understanding the story, you know, from me that connects me um, with uh, those heroes um, and in, in my life. If we all took more time to really, as Jason put it, uh, desire to seek truth through humility, um, we'd be in a very different conversation as a nation. Um, I'm, I'm convinced. And, you know, and we tend to get the leaders, um, that we deserve in that regard. Uh, so when conversation becomes so polarized, um, it's easy to look at one or the other, but really it's, it, it tends to be a projection of us. Um, because political economy is downstream from culture and culture is downstream from creed, the ultimate things that we believe to be true. Um, and so we think political economy is the whole show, but it's not. It's all, you know, it's being fed from an upstream source of the big things that we think. There's, there's symptoms. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're observing the symptoms, not the, not the root cause. You know, this is this is a really good conversation uh, and it's and it's good from a lot of reasons. We've had. We've had in the past uh, conversations about political policy and politics in general, and we don't always agree. We, we, um, there, if we, if we were, if we were running for office, you, me against you, we would have some good debates, right? Yeah. On, on what we should do. So here yeah. is an example of two people, uh, and I'm not going to presume to know how you voted, but just based on our, our based on our previous conversations, I know that we have differences. Yet, we're having this conversation. We're having this conversation about unity. We're having this conversation about how can we create omni-wins and how can we uh, overcome the divisiveness. And um, pop up this from, from Scott. Um, basically, looking for, uh, Scott wants, wants some examples of, of omni-wins and, and what and, and may, maybe probably a little bit more on the definition of what we're talking about and how we get there. And, you know, uh, you know, why, why that's not, you know, just, you know, conceding to, to the other, right? I mean, that's, because that's what we're afraid of, right? We're afraid of that, 
we if we just go along with the other side, we're just conce- we're giving up our values, we're giving up our morals, we're giving up everything that we know to be to be right. You know, we, you can't ask that of people, and and we're not asking that of people. So, can you maybe speak to the difference between that mindset and and what a true omni one is? Um, yes, but I want to go back to a previous comment that you made, um, just with regard to our uh, friendship and our differing opinions and our shared um, opinions. Um, because I, you know, I I just need to say, Ron, because I don't think I've ever told you this uh, as a friend, but you've you've changed the way that I think about um, material, important things in life. I'm and I'm grateful for that and. Part of the reason why I'm excited about continuing ongoing conversations, and so to the extent that I I have a sphere of influence, um, there are things that you've helped me see, like an OmniWin we're involved in right now with Arbor Day Foundation um, as a company, Fifth Element, uh, with a partner called Win Together, where you know we're trying to help Arbor Day Foundation. Uh, plant a hundred million trees because it it matters and from the orbital perspective you know how much that matters you've helped ingrain that uh, into me and so it, it's you know changed um, a, a part of my um, agenda uh, as somebody who's trying to leave the world a, a little better I, I love the quote from Martin Luther by the way on the subject of trees and it relates to the orbital perspective when he was asked, um, the, the Martin Luther being the theologian uh, who helped start the Protestant Reformation, when he was asked what he would do if he knew he was going to die tomorrow, he said, "I'd plant an apple tree." And you know, some people say, "Well, that was a figurative thing." Some people say it was a literal thing, but to me, it's beautiful, and it's probably both, uh, figurative and literal. Um, and, and so, you know, what is the orbital perspective? Among other things, it's it's thinking about things like how do you today create, you know, artifacts of hope for tomorrow uh, and the people that will experience tomorrow um, after us. And and I, so, I just wanted to point out that's an example of the kind of way that you've influenced me and in my thinking. Um, and I'm I'm really grateful to have friends. Um, uh, like you, uh, the family yeah. mutual. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so, so just to give an example of an OmniWin Fifth Element um, group was engaged in one of the YouTube phenomena of the year, um, Some Good News, which is a episodic YouTube series launched um, in the depths of the um, the, the COVID uh, crisis uh, this past spring. And, you know, the, the idea from John Krasinski, the host, um, who you might know from The Office and Jack Ryan, et cetera, was that we just needed some good news. So, you know, you think about the simple premise that um, people become what they eat, <laughs> as one of my farming friends likes to say, and as, as my wife actually likes to say, too. And um, uh, if that's the case, you know, then we, we need to eat hope. Too. We need to eat good news as well as just the steady stream of bad news. And uh, so John just did a masterful job of producing the series of little episodes, all organically done, sharing stories from all over the world uh, where there were just good news sightings 
Um, and um, and we, um, as Fulfillman, then were engaged to go out and bring in um, brand partners that would help create kind of a wow moment at the end of each episode where it wasn't just about all these people all around the world, these celebs and everyday ordinary Joes um, sharing good news. But it was also about brands understanding um, that they could be a stakeholder in good news as well at a time when the, the, the world needed it and stepping in and doing something really creative that we would help design with them. And that's an example of an Omniwin because we were, you know, we we're trying to think, okay, how could I, our partner, some good news, extend its impact? How could uh, the, the people watching, consuming this content um, be more um, mobilized with hope and hopefulness? And, you know, how could a brand um, be, participate in all of that in a way that created more brand warmth, uh, as my partner Ed Martin likes to call it, um, for, um, you know, for, for that, that brand as a participant in all of it. And, you know, we have more than a billion views um, on YouTube. It has been, we, we've given away millions and millions of dollars to COVID-related causes. Uh, doing amazing work like World Central Kitchen and Direct Relief and Boys and Girls Club of America and Trauma Free World. Um, it's, uh, it's It's been just a really remarkable uh, experience. And the Omni Win is um, specifically a taking into consideration every stakeholder in the activations that we're you know, designing. And Ron, you, you know that our, our central thesis as a business, really what I've dedicated my, um, my latter season of business um, life to is proving a thesis. And that thesis is that organizations can do better by doing more good. And just think about that. You know, organizations, if your business, your brand, we're proposing that you can actually perform better by doing more good um, in the world. And those things uh, historically were viewed as kind of meat and potatoes. You keep them separated on the plate. You make money over here. You give money away over there. What's happening is that the businesses are increasingly realizing that you know that they can build into their DNA um, intentionality about being a stakeholder, as you said, and in, in leaving the world a better place and, um, and, and operating that way, active, you know, acting that way, whether it relates to um, treatment of employees or supply chain or marketing to consumers or um, other compliance issues. It's, it, it can be life-giving rather than life-taking uh, to the organization that really understands that thesis and executes it with excellence. And that's what we do at Fifth Element. Yeah, so that's a, that that takes us down a really interesting path because you know we talked about how uh, all of this political divisiveness that we're seeing, all this craziness right now, are just symptoms of uh, an under, underlying issue. And you know, I I truly believe, and, and full disclosure, I'm involved with with Fifth Element as well. Um, I'm I'm part of the, the Fifth Element team, um, so. One of the things that has become apparent is that we're at we're at a fork in the road. We are at an inflection point, and we have we have the choice to go down one path or the other. And and 
I believe that one of the, the most powerful forces on the planet uh, to affect good or uh, destruction is business, business enterprise, right? So business enterprise has the incredible power to either, either destroy our world by clinging to the same old, you know, winner take all two dimensional, you know, exploitation and extraction at, at all costs, uh, profit maximization at all costs, you know, this, this idea that the world is, is ours to exploit and people are ours to exploit as either consumers or a workforce and, you know, winner takes all mindset, or we can save the planet by embracing the idea that businesses should exist first and foremost to serve civilization, that they don't uh, operate as independent, uh, you know, self-serving, independent self-serving vacuum. Uh, they, they operate in an interdependent fabric of prosperity. They're, they're nodes in an interdependent fabric of prosperity uh, where everybody should have the opportunity to, to prosper um, and, and to fulfill their own potential. Right. And so we're at this, we're at this junction point right now. And I agree with you hundred percent that what we're going to find is that those businesses that are going to be successful are the ones that realize that doing good has to be written into their DNA, not put in the stovepipe of, of CSR or, or whatever, you know, whatever, wherever yeah. else they want to put it. The other thing is they actually have to do good. People are smart. You know, there's lots of companies that spend more money, vastly more money advertising the good that they, they claim to have done than the actual good uh, itself. And, and they're not dolly zooming, right? They might do something that's really impressive in the short term in a very small area uh, that actually hurts the larger area or hurts the very community that they're operating in when you look at it over the long term. And so this has to be, you know, really very, very focused. And, and I want to bring up a, a comment here um, from somebody whose middle name is Garen, could be a cousin. <laughs> but anyway, this is a really, this is a really good point from Tracy is, is that it is so hard to find the truth. There is so much misinformation right now. You like these companies, these companies that say, you know, we've done X, Y, and Z, we've done these great things. But when you really drill into it, they really haven't done that, that much at all. And so uh, I don't have a, a great answer for, to Tracy's question. Uh, it, is, it is probably one of the biggest challenges that we're facing right now is how do we discern the truth from all the noise that's, that's around us? And I mean, there's simple things that you can do, like fact check, fact check, fact check, you know, figure out where the source of, of this is coming from. Don't just take, no matter who they are, don't just take their, their word, um, you know, for it. And I've, I mean, I've, I've heard all kinds of arguments about, you know, why we, we sh I don't mean to get political, but just as an example, you know, why we should have pulled out of the, the Paris Climate Accord. And I heard all of these like r really wild reasons that I didn't think were, were true. And it's, well, you know, did you know that this, it says this and it says that. And so I took it upon myself to actually read the Paris Climate Accord. And most of those things, if not all of th those things had nothing to do with the Paris Climate Accord. They were just, things that were picked up, clickbait that people glommed onto and uh, use that to justify a decision made by, by a polit politician that they support. Yeah, well, um, uh, the Paris Accords notwithstanding, your point about going to original source documents versus secondhand commentary coming to us through filtered lenses um, is, uh, is really important. I. Um, 
I, I think it's I think it's critical. Um, I mean, we've just come through a season where we've we've even seen the importance of this as it relates to quote unquote science. Um, one of my favorite writers, a guy named C.S. Lewis, and he famously said um, at Oxford, um, scientists have noses of wax to be twisted whichever way their predilections compel them. So, you know, Stacey, even as it relates to science, you know, data-driven science, you, you have to be um, a, um, you have to be willing to get exhausted. <laughs> I, I, I really, I just want to affirm her point. Uh, it's true. Um, the, the search for truth is exhausting. It's exhilarating too, but it's exhausting. Um, uh, Chesterton famously said, any dead thing can float downstream. It takes a living thing to swim against it. And that's exhausting, but it's also exhilarating. Um, so I, 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 I just, I think it's a, it's, it's a very fair point. And we all, part of what we need to do is we all need to gird ourselves for, uh, you know, for action. And part of it, Ron, to your point is, is as best we can going to original sources. And that, that goes back to the, you know, the, the place where we started um, about being in relationship with people who don't just live in an echo chamber where uh, we've made residence. That's just not, that's not what we need more of. And unfortunately, the media has become nothing but that, it seems, these days, which is why I so appreciate um, podcasts like this um, one, Ron. Um, I, you know, Alyssa, you know Alyssa Fisher-Harris on our team at Fifth. You know, what is it to be in a relationship with somebody who's, you know, who's a hero to you, uh, which is the way that I feel about um, uh, my business partner, Alyssa, in part because, you know, as a, as a young girl in her high school year, early years, she was living uh, homeless out of a car. And then, you know, as our chief impact officer, bringing a whole different, you know, orbital perspective um, not just to our work as fifth element, but, you know, to me as a, as, as, as a person, as a, um, you know, as a white male in this American moment, uh, it's just, it, it's something I'm really grateful for. And so, you know, part of the exhausting and exhilarating, um, experience is to be in, um, in relationship, um, with people that you respect, appreciate, and admire, who can articulate views different from your own to help yeah, shape your perspective. That, that's a good point. Um, and before I come on it, I'm, I just want to agree on Alyssa being a hero. And everybody should check check, check out the episode. Uh, I've had Alyssa on the show, uh, and it was an incredible uh, – she has such an incredible – life story. It's a, sh a story of resilience and, and we could use a little resilience right now. But going back to the, the issue of finding truth, you know, is there such a thing as trusted sources, right? And so one of the things that I think we will help in the discernment process is to look at what motivations exist for people to put something out, right? Is there, is that uh, you're getting your information from a politician? Are you getting it from a uh, politically skewed uh, news source that um, makes money more, the more divisive they are, the more money they make. Uh, are, are you getting it from somebody who has something to benefit from it? Um, and, you know, one of the things, one of the, one of the historical places that we get truth data from is, is science is, is, and the reason is, 
is because I believe that that scientists or so, that science in general is a, is a humble pursuit. Because when evidence is presented that overturns our theories, you know, like the 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 world isn't flat, uh, the 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 sun doesn't revolve around the earth, um, you know, <laughs> time is fixed, right? With Einstein, these things, all of these things sounded ridiculous at first, right? But I mean, and it went against common sense. Common sense would tell you the earth, the earth is flat. I mean, it would tell you that the sun, look, the sun, I could see it moving across the sky. It obviously, you know, so common sense is not always the best judge. But when evidence-based approaches are implemented through a scientific process and evidence is presented to overturn those theories and beliefs, um, science at least has the humility to say, you know what, we got it wrong and here's the new theory. That doesn't mean this new theory is correct. But if evidence is presented that that challenges it, then you know scientists have throughout history have had the humility to change that. That can't be said for politics. That can't be said for a lot of. It can't be said for business. It can't be said for a lot of other uh, places where information is being generated. It certainly can't be said for people making posts on social media, uh, even if it's your your uncle Steve or whoever who you who is your favorite uncle, that doesn't mean that necessarily what he's posting is true. Well, I, you know, I, I think contrary to you on that point, um, because to me, we've all witnessed, whether it's polling scientists or um, COVID scientists, um, that there are challenges with science being factual. Science can tend to run after the money. Um, can tend to run after a moment, can tend to demonstrate incredible hubris um, rather than humility. That's not to say that, um, you know, if you think about Thomas Kuhn and, and his work on paradigm shifts, um, he talked about how consensus is created in the scientific community that, you know, creates these, you know, the more thoughtful shifts um, over time. But sometimes those shifts you know, again, to me, nature's not the whole show. Uh, even when we have conversations, Ron, as basic as, gosh, is this going to be a just outcome or is this true? We're reaching from the realm of the physical up to the metaphysical and borrowing constructs um, from up there, the invisible things that transcend nature to bring them down into our world and make an argument. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I, to, to me, um, there's always a challenge, whether it's science or politics or business, to um, subject things to the transcendent standards that, um, uh, that, that, that matter most. And us determining purposefulness, right and wrong, you know, the most basic um, things that give meaning uh, to the universe. So... Uh, it, it's. I think it's a challenge across all spheres. In our business, Fifth Element Group, we, we've organized um, the corporation intentionally as a public benefit corp. Uh, PBC is a new kind of corporate uh, entity structure. And we're really excited about that because effectively what it signals, and, and again, you can signal something, you know, as you pointed out earlier, and not be... Um, authentically carrying the, the the work of what you're signaling. You know, that, that happens uh, all the time, right? I remember growing up, I loved it when 
like the the bags of Lay's potato chips to my mother's chagrin started saying all natural on them because like it was like everything that I loved uh, to eat uh, all of a sudden was getting these all natural stamps on it. When my mom would say, no, no, you shouldn't be having too much of those. When I was a boy, uh, I would say, but it's all natural. Um, you know, and, and to a certain extent, we're, we're, we're seeing that in the cause or impact space. So you made a point earlier. Um, it reminds me of our, our state flag here in North Carolina. It's Esse Quam Videri is on the flag, which means um, may the outer and the inner man be one. In other words, may things be as they as they seem. Um, and that's a challenge for us in business, too. So for the scientist, um, for the politician. Um, for the business person, I think that the challenge, you know, is the same to um, assess ourselves with humility and with authenticity and to, you know, have a true north to which we align that, you know, is beyond the material uh, stuff of, of, of the world that transcends that. There's a story unfolding that's far bigger than any of us or our self-interests. And we all, you know, need to be reminded of that to have an orbital perspective. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more that there's a bigger picture here, um, and that we're all we're all part of that bigger picture. And you know, going back to what Tracy said, I think we all feel this. I feel this myself. You know, how do you find truth? It's exhausting. And you know, just I, I just want to pull on the science thread a little bit more because um, <laughs> science is not science is not per, the scientific community is not perfect. There is corruption. There is there, there, there are political forces that can affect the scientific community. But the scientific method, uh, the scientific process yeah. is, as far as I know, the best we have to, to arrive at, at truth. And so when a scientist is being unduly influenced from political or other corrupt measures, then it's inherent in the, the rest of the scientific community to basically challenge that, that view based on the evidence. And in many cases throughout history, it was actually this renegade you know, nut job <laughs> who was right. And the entire scientific yeah. community was wrong. Um, yeah. And time and time again, you've seen uh, the truth win out in, in those situations. It doesn't mean it's not gonna vacillate for you know, maybe decades uh, while it's while it's converging on the truth, but the process itself has been proven over thousands of years. Um, you know, going back to the ancient Greeks. So, so I, I think evidence-based approaches. And so, if if you're being presented with scientific data that challenges uh, your views, I would look into it. I would look at, like you said, go to the source data. Yeah. Go go to those peer-reviewed uh, white papers and see what they're actually saying. Don't just rely on political pundits or, or the news media or social media to just say, hey, this guy's a scientist. He's got a PhD from wherever. He says this. Therefore, I'm going to glom onto that and because it aligns well with my position. So, yes. It's all very, very important, Ron. And one of the things you pointed out is the importance of the scientific community to have the humility to uh, respect and recognize outlier opinions. I mean, I've, I've been in forums at, um, uh, where I've seen this firsthand, places like Oxford, um, where the outlier perspectives aren't um, given any credence. And over time, those outlier perspectives 
you know, fight their way to a, a position of at least uh, honest assessment and evaluation. But I've also seen situations where the outliers, because they're outliers, are uninvited to environments of free inquiry. And I think it's one of the great threats in our nation right now that we are, we've become so polarized, as you pointed out, that we are uninviting um, free inquiry, divergent opinion on our college campuses and our business boardrooms and our, um, um, you know, in our churches and our, in our communities of, of, um, of fellowship that it just does not give opportunity for unity to form around, you know, shared human uh, affection and experience. And, um, and, and that's a, you know, that's a hard thing. Just to go back for a second to your, the, the, the point of evidence-based data. I do think that um, it is not just the case that uh, evidence-based approaches matter in science. They do matter in political economy. They do matter in business. I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, Fifth Element has pulled these um, very diverse executives um, from all around the world, um, different ages, different, you know, ethnic or socioeconomic backgrounds and stories and so forth, um, to work together to prove this thesis that uh, organizations think about, you know, a brand you know and love. You know, we're, we're just coming off of uh, significant uh, programs for Starbucks and for PepsiCo, for example, think about whether you love them or not. <laughs> think about those two brands for a second. Can we actually demonstrate based on evidence-based data that they can perform better as a business, meaning they can actually be more profitable, among other things, more sustainable, by um, connecting every aspect of their business to purpose um, that transcends their bottom line performance. If, if, you, if it's not an either or, or, you know, I make money over here, I tithe it away, give it away over here. If it can be about both things in the DNA of doing what that brand does, and then they, could, they can activate against that at different ways, um, that, that's transformational because the, the resource that can move to important causes, if that evidence-based data can be presented and can move brands to action, um, can be an enormous engine for good in the world. And we're at this incredible inflection point right now, Ron, where in most universities, um, young students coming up through the university are being told that business capitalism is evil. Uh, it's bad. It's, you know, don't trust it. And in reality, there's never been a time in economic history, I would submit to you, where businesses are um, more vital in shaping the way that philanthropy um, is and will be working in this century. Um, business is emerging as a powerful uh, force um, for good uh, in, in the world in ways that were unthinkable even 10 years ago. Um, so there, there are, you know, perils in that, of course. This is not uh, to say don't focus on your bottom line. It's not to say that at all. We instead want to say 
don't think of it as here's your bottom line, take out of your bottom line this amount and give it away. We instead want to say, hey, you can actually be um, intentional about creating social impact in ways that matter in your community of influence in a way that makes you more profitable. That's a very, that's a different thesis. And if we can get to that tipping point where business leaders are seeing that based on evidence-based data um, and, and they accordingly are moving how they manage their investment portfolio, they're changing the way that they're hiring as Mark Sadovnik, um, who manages our you know, executive recruiting practice uh, likes to remind us, you can't, you can't engage and retain the best people these days if you don't align your brand with purpose and, and put leaders who care into um, you know, positions of, of direction. Um, and so th this, is the, this is the thesis, the evidence-based data that we're focused on. And by the way, we base, you know, if you look at our marketing work, and this comes out of Ed Martin's experience at um, you know, some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, he was an executive at Coca-Cola and at Kellogg's and Hershey's, as you know, Ron. And he um, uh, found this um, study at Princeton, the gentleman who advances named Chris Malone. And he took this anthropological study at, at Princeton. And just think about it. It's an anthropological study, not a marketing study, a study on what motivates human behavior. Um, and, you know, the two primary things, just think about this in the moment that we're in um, right now. He said the two primary things that motivate human behavior are number one, fear, um, and um, and number two, uh, competency. So number one, when you come into a relationship with another human, do I have reason to be afraid of you? And number two, um, when I come into a relationship with you as another human, do I sense that you have something to offer me that I, that I need? That's that competency thing. And, and so this anthropological study was talking about how humans have related throughout history, what the key marks are for them to be engaged with others. And Chris Malone took this and he applied it to brands. And he did this amazing study of top 100 brands in Europe and then brought the study here. His book on brand warmth is now you know, a classic, but he's using an evidence-based data approach to say that as brands are intentional in doing more good, they they elevate their brand warmth, you know, the way that people perceive them and want to connect with them because those people are less inclined to fear the brand and they are more inclined to think that the brand has something to offer them that would be good for them. Um, so, you know, it's concepts like that that, um, that, you know, prompt me to just suggest that I do think in the world of business, it's about creating a tipping point moment where people aren't thinking that they have to. I, I loved your term, the stovepipe of CSR. That's great. Ron, I'm going to use that. You know, people th think about um, the giving part of their business in like stovepipes. Like that's a brilliant way to put it. And it's made it actually ineffective. And in some ways, people would say in my space that CSR is a little counterproductive at times because this isn't about you have to. It's about you get to. And when you see the evidence-based data as, a, as an organizational leader and you realize, gosh, I can align with impact, 
um, do more good and perform better in all these different KPI areas. Um, that's a that's that's the big win uh, that we're 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 aiming at, and you know, and, and it's a blessing to be able to work with some of the biggest and best nonprofit brands like Nobel and Arbor Day Foundation and um, uh, World Central Kitchen and all these other organizations, and to be working with some of the the biggest and best brands and seeing that magic happen, uh, and, and that's what it is. It, it, it can be really hopeful uh, for people who are seeing it. So, so we're we're coming up to the top of the hour. I do want you brought up a bunch of good points uh, that I that I want to touch on before we go. So we might go over just just a little bit. But one of the things you said is that we need to create a tipping point. I disagree with that because I think we're we're at a tipping point. <laughs> whether yeah. we like it, we yeah, like it or not, yes. we like it or whether we like it or not, we yeah. are at a tipping point right now. And you you brought up some really really good points about the the role of business yeah. and. You know, I'm not another thing that I'm not sure that I agree with. You know, I'm standing on the campus right now. I'm on the campus of the University of Colorado. And you, you made the point that, you know, on campuses across the nation, students are being taught that capitalism is wrong. I can't speak to that. I have no uh, data to, to support an opinion on that either way. But I will stand by what I said before. And that is that business has the incredible power to either destroy our planet by clinging to the old way of doing things or save our planet and save us with it. Actually, the planet's going to be fine to save humanity, <laughs> to, to destroy humanity by clinging to the old ways or destroy humanity and civilization and society uh, or, or save civilization and society by embracing a new way of doing things. And the, the issue is and, and what's going to make the difference between success and failure is if these companies are able to dolly zoom. If they're not just staying focused on the short term, where they have a really short attention span, right? They just are looking at the next shareholder report. And the other thing is the basic structure of corporations is by law, they are required to max a, a, a traditional C Corp is by law um, has to maximize profits for their shareholders. That's that is what is uh, the CEOs, the leaders of the company, executive companies have been put in place to do. And so when given the choice of creating long-term good that they won't see the benefits for for years or if not decades uh, and ha having a really good shareholder report, they're going to choose the shareholder report. And so there has to be some systemic change in the way capitalism is structured. Um, capitalism, when I say business could either destroy the planet or destroy society or save it, what I mean is capitalism. Capitalism will either destroy our society or lead us into a, a more vibrant, more restorative, more positive future by adapting to the needs of, of civilization, not adapting civilization to the needs of business. No. Yeah. So you know, there are all kinds of um, threads to this discussion that are running. Some of um, those threads began, I think, in some ways with Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And you noted um, in, in your introduction that we're working on this um, little manifesto called Great to Good. Um, we secured that title in part to say, you know, actually the next iteration, the tipping point um, iteration that we're learning is that if you want to stay great, you also need to hinge from great to good. That, that's a thesis. Again, it's, a, it's an evidence-based data proposal um, for organizational leaders to um, you know, to consider and consider carefully across all aspects of their organization. And again, if it's an either or thing, Ron, where you're saying, no, 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 I got to focus on the bottom line return for my shareholders, 
um, shareholder theory, you know, versus stakeholder theory. If it's, you know, if it's, if it's one or the other, um, it's, it's an interesting argument. What we're trying to do based on the evidence-based data as a global impact consultancy at Fifth Element is we are trying to show that you can actually do more good in a way that makes your bottom line return for shareholders as well as stakeholders um, far more compelling. And you know, all you have to do is just think about the human element just as one piece of that puzzle to realize that, um, gosh, if you can motivate people by giving them a sense that what they're doing is about making a better world and being a part of something that's far bigger than themselves or uh, the money that might hit their paycheck that month, um, you're gonna get more motivated, more loyal, um, more engaged um, workers. and and. So that's just one aspect of this puzzle. But you, you know, you write that larger, and I can tell you that the data is showing that customers want to buy brands whose stories resonate with values that they champion. You know, it's, that's statistical, uh, data-based um, case modeling. So we're tr again, we're trying to bend those two things together, um, and if we can do it, the stakes for humanity, for the planet are enormous. Um, they really are because people will start thinking about it as an I get to um, be in the impact game, not I have to. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we definitely have to do that, right? Not if we do it, we have to do it. And we just scratched the surface. And I, I, I knew this was going to be a, a conversation that went by really fast. Um, the, conver the conversation is not over. Unfortunately, the live part, we have to go off the air. Uh, Jim and I are going to continue the, uh, these conversa this conversation a little bit more. Uh, stay tuned for links on how you can view this, the extra part. Uh, but the live part is uh, unfortunately uh, going to have to end. But, but Jim, how can people find out more about Fifth Element Group and, and, and the amazing work that's being done there? Yes, Ron. Well, I mean, the, the easiest way to find out more uh, about what we're doing is the news stream on our Fifth Element uh, dot group um, page website. Um, that's fifth with a five th element dot group, and uh, and then, you know, I just would encourage anybody who has ideas if there are ways um, that we can lift um, your work in the world. We'd love to know more about that. Um, we've um, we've created a community, as you know, Ron, called the SDG Circle, which is a nonprofit community that we've uh, kind of sponsored and stewarded through. Fifth Element, um, that, sustainable development, UN Sustainable De Development. Goals. Right. That's yeah. That's focused on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and creating unique omni wins, um, good exchanges, other models that we've been working around for several years uh, to help uh, prove this thesis and uh, advance good work in the world, um, including good work in the world um, relating to you know common shared human flourishing with people who think very differently than we do, who have very different experiences than we do. Um, it's, it's part of um, just the gratitude disposition that we try to bring to our work every day. And I, I get to work with, you know, people like you, the best, some of the best people I know um, on, on the planet who inspire me every day. And, and so that's a, that's a big, um, big joy in terms of the work that we do as well. 
Well, th thanks, Jim. And, and, you know, one of the main tenets of the orbital perspective is you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. And you certainly uh, demonstrate that. We're going to talk uh, when we go off uh, the live broadcast, we're going to talk more about how you arrived at your at your orbital perspective. Uh, but thank you for sharing that. Thank you for the diversity of conversation. Thank you for for helping us set the example on how to have a, have a, a rational dialogue. Um, and to everybody who tuned in and all the comments, we'll, we'll try. I, I know we, we couldn't answer them all. We couldn't address them all, but uh, we'll do the best we can um, after the fact uh, to go back through. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we are going to get through this. We've got we've got a tough uh, few days and few weeks ahead, um, but what will get us through this is understanding that first and foremost, we're to get we're together. We're all in this together. Uh, we do all, believe it or not, for the most part, want the same things, um, and uh, we share so much more in common uh, than than we realize. And uh, and uh, I've got a great guest next week, Jacqueline Novogratz. Can't wait to, to interview her or it's not an interview, have a conversation with her. <laughs> and so, so tune in next week. That'll, that'll also be an interesting conversation based on uh, current events. And uh, so tune in next week. I really appreciate it. And thanks again, Jim. Uh, and thanks for all you're doing in the world. I, I, um, you're making a big impact, big positive restorative impact in the world. And thank you for all you're doing. Thank you, Ron. It's a privilege. All the best, everybody. Thank you for joining us during this conversation from the orbital perspective. And thank you for being a part of an emerging unity on our planet. We are strongest when we are aligned around the truth of our underlying unity. Together, we are unstoppable and can build a positive, restorative future, a future that we would all want to be a part of. Please subscribe to the Orbital Perspective podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will do to help make life on our planet as beautiful as it looks from space. <laughs>